What's up, y'all? This is John and Wes back for another episode of the Nothing Finer podcast. Um, We are going to get to the preview after we talk to our very special guest tonight. It is good friend of the show and Mississippi State graduate Sarthik Sharma. He has joined us tonight on late notice to uh, give us some insight on the Mississippi State Western Bulldogs. So, Go ahead and tell yourself a little bit. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, Sarthik. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for the intro. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm here all the way from out west. Uh, I graduated from Mississippi State in 2012. I actually happened to also graduate from the University of Georgia in uh, 2016. So this is an interesting matchup uh, for me oh. in terms of who I'm rooting for. But uh, been a Mississippi State fan for for decades now, and I think most of my off time is spent listening to various Mississippi State podcasts, um, which sounds sad as I say it out loud, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to stick to that. Uh, so I'm hoping I can uh, share some of what I've learned. Sorry, guys. I'll edit this out. My laptop's about to die. <laughs> nice. Very unprepared. You know what? No, you should you should keep this in. This is this is great, great radio. Hey, I was a little busy making myself some steak tacos for dinner. So, <laughs> it's definitely good radio because they can't see me. You got uh, a good radio face. Do what? You got a good radio face. That's what I've always told myself. <laughs> All right, so if you guys are drinking, what are you drinking? Um, sparkling ice water. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going with something a little bit more alcoholic. So Lagavulin 16 is uh, there you I just go. Up a little bit. Yeah, I, it's just like taking a big chunk of smoke and just putting it right in your mouth, uh, which is perfect. A great <laughs> way to top off a Monday evening. Yeah, Wes um, at one point was drinking on some Ardbeg and uh... – and got off of it. Yeah, that's a that's a campfire. That's right. That's right. Nothing wrong. <laughs> Best thing to have with steak, actually. If you're having steak tacos, I would definitely add either of those whiskeys to the menu. Huh. Um, I actually, well, with the tacos, I had a UFO white um beer. But now that we're recording, I am I brought the ASW 2019 Maris Otter back out. So Hopefully, maybe that'll numb my throat enough to get through the two hours or so of recording that me and Wes are going to do tonight. Nice. ASW probably has, I'd say, top five old fashions for me in Atlanta. So, highly recommend it. Yeah, that's actually um, that's actually our sponsors, ASW, through our good friend, David Booth. Oh, well, look at that. Free, free ad read for me, too. I love it. But we're going to get into this Mississippi State preview. And before we get started, a little disclaimer here. I have been one of the highest people that you will find on Mississippi State this season. Before the season, I said it was going to be Georgia's toughest game because their offense is designed to go after Georgia's youth, the inside linebackers, the star position, the safeties, all the spots on Georgia's defense that were going to be young. Well, that – I think a lot of my concern went out the window on Saturday, but, but I mean, I actually put money on them to go over seven and a half wins, which 
honestly, they might not hit, and that's going to make me very sad because I think I had them finishing nine and three this season when I picked the schedule. So, and looks like if they lose this weekend, they may go seven and five. So that's that's disappointing to me. But up oh, west, the background is currently over your face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't get how y'all do that. I don't even have a green screen. I'm not technically savvy. I'll figure it out sooner or later. Eventually, eventually. Um, <laughs> but we want to hear the good stuff. So we, I mean, I'm sure as a part Bulldog, Georgia Bulldog fan, you hear all the negative stuff from our side as well. Um, so we want to hear the positive stuff. We want to hear about why this Mississippi State program can do well against Georgia this season. So with that being said, let's talk about recruiting. Um, how's it going under Mike Leach? Because I, I've, you know, I haven't really looked too far into it, but the thing about him has always been he can recruit offense, but not necessarily defense. So let's get into that. Sure. So I'll say this under Mike Leach, the recruiting has been good. It has been basically about where Dan Mullen's recruiting was. So you're looking at between the top kind of 25 to 30 after everything kind of um, comes out in the wash. That's where it usually is. The difference, though, is that Mike Leach is generally a little better at getting uh, like a four star here and there, whereas Dan Mullen was pretty content with uh, with three stars. So the biggest get I think we kind of see with that is the commit uh, at quarterback, Chris Parsons. Right. So Chris Parsons is seen by a lot of people in the Bulldog community right now as the future because he's the guy that is supposed to take Mississippi State to that next level of the air raid, which is having a mobile quarterback, right? Something you see a lot of Leech uh, descendants having, so like Lincoln Riley, right? Mobile quarterback, right? Cliff Kingsbury, mobile quarterback. So to get to that level, Will Rogers is not going to be the guy that does it. So for that reason, I think Chris Parsons is seen as the biggest commit for Mike Leach, uh, probably since he's been here the last few years. Um, and then the other side of that is also um, Isaac Smith. Uh, Isaac Smith is not a commit yet, but he is someone Mississippi State is very high on as a safety um, to help round out a really good class for 2023. So uh, we'll see where that goes. But generally speaking, Mike Leach is recruiting a little bit better than Dan Mullen, but for the most part, it's there. The question is going to be, can he develop like Dan Mullen? So kind of a question off of that quarterback is – I mean, technically, Will Rogers has, what, two years of eligibility left? Jesus. I think it's one more year. He might have two years, but I, I doubt he I, – I think it's one more year after this one. Okay, so you think he will stick around next year and then kind of be the – that'll be the gap, like the bridge that gaps the two quarterbacks? So, normally, yes. The only issue is that there's also Sawyer Robertson, who's the current backup quarterback. Right, Soy Robertson, one of the more heralded quarterbacks coming out of Texas the last few years, you know, seen, I think he's a four star as well, seen as the potential future for the program here. If Will Rogers either, you know, um, finished this year and tried to go pro or if it didn't really work out with him. The problem is with Will Rogers setting so many records, uh, and he set another one this, this past weekend, it doesn't really look like Sawyer is going to get an opportunity. And so we'll have to wait probably next year when Will Rogers comes back. Most everything indicates that Rogers is coming back for another year. So the question is, 
are we then going to just allow Soy Robertson to go into the portal? Because that's probably what's going to happen if Chris Parsons ends up being the next person. So there's some things they're going to have to figure out. But one thing I'll say about Mike Leach is he definitely allows for a lot of competition in whichever position room. So he's going to just take whoever gives them the best chance to win. How, are they recruiting any kickers? <laughs> I tell you what, man, that you are a million dollar question. The, the fact that Massimo Biscardi has not really worked out outside of this weekend where shout out to him for kicking three straight field goals from I think 45 yards and, and hitting all of them. Um, outside of that instance, he has not worked out as someone who was um, a, I mean, all pro kicker at uh, Coastal Carolina last year, the expectation that he was going to be great. Same thing with Ben Raybon has not worked out. I don't know what it is, but Mississippi State has had no luck the last few years at kicker. And it is just, it is mind boggling how bad the kicking has become. And now that has translated into really bad punting as well, right? The program started great this year on punting. And now that has just fallen off the um, the cliff very badly. So I don't know, man. Everybody, it's it's open season for kickers. It looks like again. Next year. <laughs> hey, I mean, at least he's not pulling the Lane Kiffin and going to frat houses looking for kickers. So I mean, you may not get any worse. So you know, <laughs> as well, hit up Capasig and see what they can do for you. <laughs> I mean, I, I said it in the off season. Mississippi State last year was a good kicker and competent officiating from nine wins. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, and. I mean, this year, you know, the LSU loss, looking back, doesn't look like that bad of a loss. At the time, <laughs> it wasn't great, but you got to remember, Mississippi State was up 13-0. You know, things looked great until they didn't. And, you know, that's that's a game they could have won. You know, and so there's a lot of ifs with this team over the last couple of years that all come down to consistency. So I kind of mentioned it a little while ago, the 2023 class, as it sits now, and I looked this up today, it's 39th in the country, which like you said, isn't far off of where Mullen typically recruited, but only five of the 15 current recruits are defensive players. Do you see that as a potential issue moving forward? It could be, but there's two reasons I think that it, it won't necessarily be a huge issue. So one, and the biggest reason is Zach Arnett. Uh, I think Zach Arnett is one of the most underrated defensive coordinators in the country. I think in the SEC, he's got he's finally gotten the recognition that he kind of deserves. Nationally, don't hear about him as much, which is probably a good thing for retention purposes. But Zach Arnett, that three three five, is I mean, it, it. I think it's absolutely one of the top, probably four or five defenses in the SEC. I mean, you look at the way that they play. The only times where you look at the final score for a game and it looks like you know, oh, Mississippi State gave up 30 points or 40 points. It's usually because the offense was so inconsistent that the defense just had to stay on the whole game. And so it's the fourth quarter that a team scores a bunch of points. Mm -hmm. And LSU is a prime example of that. Three quarters, they did not look great. In the fourth quarter, the defense just kind of, you know, just didn't have the horses left. Uh, but, you know, I think if you had a consistent offense, Mississippi State would be absolutely one of the best teams in the country. But you don't. Uh, but Zach Arnett and the defense is not to blame for that. And so I think that works. And then uh, second, we're probably going to look in the portal to try to get a couple of defensive linemen. Um, there is a definite hole for defensive linemen. Uh, you know, Jaden Crumity just got back from injury, got some rust, but he did well over the weekend, really needed him on a couple of big stops. Um, but he is most likely going to the NFL next year. 
So that leaves a hole again. And so I think I think Zach Arnett is going to get some get some folks out of the portal from from everything I've heard. Yeah, and that's something that you know I I've harped on a lot because, like I said, I'm much higher on Mississippi State than a lot of other people. Mississippi State led the conference in interceptions last season, but then also up until two weeks ago, they were once again leading the SEC in interceptions, and uh, a couple teams have taken them over now. But they're still. The secondary is – if you have a pass that's not accurate, the secondary is going to take advantage of that. Absolutely. So this team's biggest strength this season? Surprisingly, the defense right now. Joking. Uh, I think it's the defense for sure. I think that's what everyone would tell you. Um, Emmanuel Forbes has been as good as advertised. He has a definite – uh, NFL Sunday future coming up. You know, Jet Johnson at linebacker has been fantastic. He's one of those guys that, you know, Arnett really developed, someone that didn't really come out very you know, heralded out of, out of high school. But, um, you know, Zach Arnett has turned him into a really, really good linebacker. You know, Jaden Crumity has been great. We've, there's been, uh, DeCamrian uh, Richardson has been uh, kind of on the other side of uh, Emmanuel Forbes, and he's been really good as well. So, you know, the defense has definitely been, it has been the rock. I think for the team, right? Like you saw this in the Auburn game where Mississippi State has two quarters where it's it's good. Um, big special teams play help there, but then it has a third quarter where it doesn't do anything. And it has three turnovers, I think, in the red zone for Auburn and holds them to like two field goals, right? That's in, incredible. And that's because of the defense. Yeah, no, I mean, you brought up that Auburn game and you brought up the LSU game earlier too, like, <clears throat> This team just can't stay consistent. <clears throat> Sorry. They were leading, what, 24-6 at the half against Auburn and end up winning in overtime. <clears throat> that offense scored, I think, what, 13 points the whole second half against Auburn? Yeah. I mean, look, even, even if you look at what is year in and year out, the worst game that Mississippi State plays, which is against Alabama, right? Mike Leach had a point about, uh, the players just feeling like they're scared when you th- see an Alabama jersey. But first quarter held Alabama to, to one touchdown, seven points. You know, yeah. had uh, the offense had two drives that got you know close to or may have gotten into the uh, Alabama red zone, but couldn't convert, couldn't get touchdowns, right? And so after a while, when you keep having then three and outs, three and outs, the defense is going to break, and that's what happened. But in that game, I think Alabama scored maybe six points. I'm trying to think six points in the second half. So. Yeah. You can't you can't really blame the the defense for, yeah. for that loss to, to Alabama and pretty much any loss. It's it, it really isn't on the defense. I mean Zach Arnett is a I, I don't know I don't know if he's earning probably like four point nine of the five million or so that Mike Leach is making. I mean it is Arnett's salary that should probably be higher <laughs> than Leach's. Yeah. And I will say the Mississippi State Auburn game has recently become one of the best games to watch every season. I don't know what it is, and I'm sure it causes you a lot of emotional damage. <laughs> emotional damage. It does. But it has shaved many years off. Uh, it's it's so really much high. fun on the outside. It's so much fun. So the the three two game was my favorite back in what like. <laughs> Listen, spo- spoiler alert when you ask me about my first college football memory. So, um, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll put a pin in that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even so, last year, the, 
Mississippi State Auburn was on the same day as Georgia Tennessee again. Yep. Um, but I was I was a groomsman at one of my best friend's weddings, and we were getting ready. Like we were over there, you know, drinking, playing cards, about to get dressed. And Auburn's running away with the game. And at halftime, we're like, oh, let's find something else to watch. We're getting bored. And then a few minutes into the third quarter, it's an entirely different game. And we turned it back on. And we were all standing there by the TV until we had to walk out. Because it was just one of those games that, like, if you took your eyes off of, you were missing something. When um, my – so one of my uh, best friends, actually, we went to high school together here in Brandon, Mississippi. Shout out for for Will Rogers. Uh we now live right across basically the street, right down the street from each other uh, in Atlanta. And so um, we were watching that game and I'd, I'd gone out for a run just after or just before the game started. And I got back and I was like, oh, man, we're losing uh, 21 to, to nothing, I think, or 21-3. And um, I was like, oh, I might turn this off. And then it was 28 to 3. It's like, OK, it's not worth it. And so we were just talking for a while. And then I scrolled Twitter. And I was like, oh, they, they got a touchdown. And then we kind of turned it back on. And after that, I mean, it was just incredible. It was, and the thing is that to me was emblematic that second half of what this offense can be. Right? And yeah. it, it so often, it it really hurts to see the offense struggle so much because you feel like you're a couple of plays away, a couple of catches away, right. From being completely different. I mean, I'll give you the Alabama game as the example of that when Mississippi state is driving, right. And it's fourth down. And you're, you know, you, I think Mississippi State's about 90 or 92% in the red zone converting for touchdowns uh, or converting, converting scores this year. And, you know, it's fourth and two, I think, or fourth and one. And you throw it and the receiver has it in his hands and drops it. And you just felt the collective breath come out of all of the Mississippi State fans' lungs where it's like, you just, you just can't get over that hump. And I'm, I'm, I'm positive that if he had converted that fourth down, that Mississippi State scores a touchdown there and has actual confidence in being able to play Alabama. I don't know if they win, but they at least have a better showing. And so, you know, it's just it's small things like that, you know, that just have added up into a very inconsistent team since Mike Leach took over. So what would you say this team's biggest weakness is if you had to get it down to one thing? It's inconsistency. It's it's the ability for the team to just execute, you know, week in and week out at all the facets of the game. And it's not being perfect, not being 100%. It's just not shooting yourself in the foot at every opportunity. And it feels like the offense starts hot and then hits a wall. Or the offense starts hitting a wall and then gets hot. But it hasn't really had a game. I mean, even if you look at a game like the Arizona game from earlier in the season, I mean, that game was a 10-point game for a, probably a good bit of the uh, of the time, and it never felt like Mississippi State had completely pulled away until just the very end, right? And that's that was an Arizona team. It's not very good. Um, same thing with a lot of their games where it just never feels like they can execute. Even when you look, you know, just because it just happened, the Auburn game, you, have a, you finally have a great special teams play from a team that has had lousy special teams for years now, into Lou Griffin finally breaking uh, for a return touchdown. And then you end up having a couple of really horrendous punts. So you can't be consistent on any part of the team. So it is very much a consistency across the board. Even the defense, even Arnett's defense gives up big plays, right? They're shut down for so much of the game, and then they give up big plays. 
uh, you know, Tank Bigsby getting that 41 yard touchdown run when you just you just needed to hold him there. Right. You know, letting Matt Corral and Ole Miss, I think last year had like a third and 19 or third and 20, letting them convert there. You go all the way back to, um, you know, the uh, the Egg Bowl from a couple of years ago, they converted like a third and 28 or something. And it's just these backbreaking plays that happen at all facets of the uh, the team that you just if they could have one consistent game, I think you'd see more fans being more on board with Leach. So a question that's completely unrelated. Does Mississippi State have the best collection of names in the SEC? That's, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it is, uh, we got Quatravius, you know, Dollar Bill Johnson. Uh, you know, we got some some real guys there. You got Ducking. We got Caleb Ducking, yes. Um, you know, a lot of really fun names, I think. Um, but I'm, I'm and, and the thing is, if we won more, you'd hear more about them, right? When when Mississippi State was dropping 40 points a game for, what, two or three weeks, yeah. everybody was talking about Caleb Ducking. Right? And then that's kind of falling off. Same thing with Leach. Everyone trashes Leach when he isn't winning. And it's like, oh, well, he never talks about the game. He's not he's not on brand. He's not on point. But then when he's, lo- when he's winning, everybody wants to get the soundbite of, like, tell me about weddings and let's talk about dinosaurs, right? So it's, it's such a love-hate relationship for this team. And uh, the same thing is part of it, especially his um his new one. Years new one that came out today. The which one came out today? I've been talking traveling. About, talking about sitting behind a tree eating a, a fish sandwich with your fat girlfriend. That's right. That's right. Why <laughs> he went to fish sandwich before what? before anything else? Uh, that clip of him folding up the the chairs and kind of throwing <laughs> them into the grass. I, look, I you can hate on it, but Miss B State ended up winning that game. They did. And, yeah, they got they took them to overtime and they won it overtime. So maybe the chairs needed to be thrown in the grass. He he is a gym I don't want to get rid of. <laughs> yeah. And look if he gets us two more wins a year, he's I mean, he's gonna be minting money for a while. <laughs> and if Mississippi State had a kicker, they win that game in regulation. Now, fifty six yards is very difficult for almost any kicker in the country. So, I mean, that, but I, you know, sorry to interrupt, but this is, this is kind of part of the consistency because we do have a kicker, right? Ben Raybon, who made a 53 yarder, uh, I can't remember which game it was, but about, about a month or so ago. And that would have been good from almost 60, but, and Massimo Biscardi has not been good at field goals beyond 40 yards. He's not been great at field goals generally, but <laughs> definitely not beyond 40 yards. So the question was, well, why didn't Ben Raybon get the kick? Well, you know, Mike Leach in this press conference today, I mean, no mention. Uh, he doesn't really ever answer uh, substantive questions in his press conferences. So I, we, we've kind of talked about it throughout, but what can this Mississippi State team do to exploit a weakness in this Georgia team? So I think it isn't so much about a weakness in the Georgia team as much as it is potentially, and I – this is a, I got to hedge hard here. Potentially overconfidence that the Georgia team might have, right? So a lot of the Mississippi State fans that have some hope, and and I'll be at this game. So a lot of the folks that have some hope that Mississippi State can put put up a fight, look to that 2020 team that was really depleted. I think they're 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 down to like 40 players or something, and they still only lost by a touchdown. The biggest thing for Will Rogers is that. He is generally very good when teams play him in man coverage. 
when you have man, you're going to see the receivers run a ton of crossing routes, you know, a lot of comebacks, a lot of back shoulder throws that the offense is built to exploit. It's when you have the drop eight, the zone. More recently, when you have blitz coverage on on him, right, where is where it gets problematic. So the hope is that you can exploit some of the man coverage because Georgia does play a lot of man. We saw them play a ton of man against Tennessee, and it worked really well. Problem is, Mississippi State, as good as their receivers are generally, they're not Cedric Tillman or Jalen Hyatt. So what's going to happen? You know, if Georgia can cover those guys up and Keely Ringo can put on a a clinic on how to run the receivers route and catch the ball, then I don't know how well Mississippi State's receivers are going to to fare. And it adds the extra issue of we figured out now that the way to get a stop against Mississippi State is no longer the drop eight. Drop eight, they figured it out. Now it's the blitz. Now when you blitz Will Rogers, you make him feel pressure, he is not completing his passes. And Georgia has a great defensive line. So you know, sorry, it's a little bit of belaboring the point, but I think the the quote unquote weakness that you, Mississippi State may be able to exploit is if Georgia shows up in man and they can get some uh, some routes with with man coverage. Yeah, no, I I, I can see that one hundred percent. And you know, this like I I've said it since we started this show in July. I've always thought this is the toughest game because it comes in a spot right after the Tennessee and Florida stretch. And then you have Kentucky next week, who I thought was going to be significantly better than they are. But regardless, it is still an SEC East opponent that is going to matter down the stretch when you're talking about actually winning the conference. So this is this is a sleeper spot after a very tough game. Um, I think one thing that I would look out for is can or is is Mississippi State willing to establish the run when it establishes a run? they do really well. Yeah. Right? They get defenses kind of off kilter. They don't know to expect that for whatever reason, this team's uh, not necessarily ability, but more so willingness to establish the run has regressed in the last few weeks, almost to 2020 levels, where it's just a grind to watch. Uh, I mean, we had just against Auburn. I think there were something like 30 consecutive pass attempts. You Jeez. can't have that. Right. And I think the, the, la- the next run that they had, was on either first and 20 or second and 20. I mean, that's just setting yourself up for failure. And so, you know, Dylan Johnson had gotten banged up. He should be healthy again. So now you have your three, you know, Price, Marks, and Johnson in the uh, the backfield. You have to establish a run. And the excuse can't be where they're loading up the box so we, we can't run. You know, good coaches find ways to establish the run and to find passing lanes. So um, I, I don't know if it's Will Rogers just audibling i mean at, at some point i think mike leach has got to tell rogers like you're running you this is a run you're calling a run or we're benching you uh you know at, at some point that has to happen so i would keep an eye out to see if mississippi state tries to establish the run early yeah <clears throat> i think another thing that helps mississippi state too is i can't remember the last time georgia went to starkville it's so, got to have been a while i was at the game in 2010 under aaron murray i don't know i think that was been. the last time yeah, I think that was 24-12. That was my first time seeing Georgia play in uh in actually in person. Did they play in Circle in 2010. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I think that was the last time. Um but no, I mean going back to establishing the run, Jaquavius Marks, seven carries, 45 yards. So he averaged over six yards a carry 
and one of his seven carries was a touchdown where he really oh, yeah. was not touched. Yeah, Mississippi State, I think, averaged like 5.2 yards a carry, you know, just over five yards a carry. I mean, if you're averaging over five yards a carry or even just – even if you were at four yards a carry, you got to keep, you know, feeding that. And what was the the walk-off game winner was a Mark's run, right? And yeah. so, yeah, it's a, a lot of it is just it, – it, it the fan base cannot just collectively understand why we do not run the ball more when – everybody else that is of the air raid you know discipleship has incorporated run aspects into their offense and it feels like mike leach is still stuck in that late 90s early 2000s pure air raid and it just that doesn't work you have to be able to run and we have good running backs so you know we'll, we'll see if anything changes i think i'll tell you what looking forward to Ole miss they are going to have to establish the run against that team so and be able to stop the run for sure. sure. Um, so if you could improve a single position on this team overnight, what would it be? Left tackle. Definitely oh. left tackle. I mean, we lost Charles Cross, right? First round pick who has been lights out uh, for the Seahawks in the NFL. Probably already become one of the, the top 10 I think, left tackles in the league. So that was a huge, huge loss. Um, we had a uh, we had Percy Lewis uh, a transfer in, I think, right? And then, uh, and Dollar Bill have kind of swapped that position around a little bit, seen what works, what doesn't. But it really hasn't been anything like Charles Cross. I mean, um, we had uh, Derek Hall just on Saturday, got got two sacks, and he had three or four tackles for loss uh, coming off of the edge there. So, yeah, I mean, and, and that's Will Rogers' blind side as well. And Rogers, not the best pocket presence for a quarterback. So, you know, all of that kind of compounds into a, a bigger problem. So left tackle is probably what I'd go with. So, yeah, I mean, left guard being, you know, something that Mississippi State struggle with. And I'm, obviously we know Georgia's defense. We know the pressure that they can can get on the quarterback without even blitzing. You know, they were bringing three, three, four, and still getting pressure on um, hitting hooker. So that's one thing I could definitely see messing up, you know, Will Rogers and in, in that offense. And then, like you said, if Mike Leach doesn't get into the run game, which surprisingly Mississippi State has a good one, you know, good run game this year, like like you mentioned before. If they can get that going, it, it's going to be tough for this this defense from Georgia to keep Mississippi State, you know, off the end, or out of the end zone. Yeah, the, the left tackle, just uh, the line in general. I mean, the trenches, as a lot of games are decided in the trenches, this one definitely will be. Yeah. Uh, I would – expect and look i i'm not a coach i don't get paid to coach or any of those things but i would expect the offense for mississippi state to try to incorporate so the, the run is one thing but probably try to incorporate you know a wide receiver screen or like the short passes for running backs to try to get the ball out of roger's hands as quickly as possible just because he is not hendon hooker he is not mobile enough to to roll out and you know, get yards with his legs, even though he's shown a couple of flashes of, of that when things have broken down this year. But generally speaking, he's not very mobile. Um, so he's going to have to get the ball out of his hand quickly, accurately. And the, I mean, the corners and really even the safeties for Georgia, they're going to play up. They're not yeah. going to be sitting back uh, in, you know, deep coverage because Will Rogers has not really shown an ability to stretch the field and, and throw it deep that much and at least in the latter part of the season he started doing that the beginning part of the season and has regressed a little bit so 
know, it's going to be pretty tough. I, it's very difficult to see how Mississippi State really wins this game. But if they can win in the trenches, then you start seeing a little bit more of hope. Yeah, and, and we saw against Missouri what that screen that screen game can do against Georgia because they were just running up and down that field on screen plays. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're the the hope is that you can take advantage of an over aggressive Georgia defense. All right. Sorry, I'm back. My <laughs> dogs will go in nuts for a minute there. Um all right, so we've got just a few more questions here before we get into the game picks and the guest questions. So, and this is some this is something that I have heard a lot about from a lot of different fans and fan bases. Um, I personally, I I kind of like it, I, but it's the cowbells. It's a lot of controversy in the SEC. What's your take first on as objective as you can be? A lot of people say that with the rules that it's technically an illegal noise making device. And then two, do you like it? <laughs> uh, let me answer that in backwards fashion. So subjectively, Love the cowbells. It was great, great tradition, fantastic. Adds a lot of uh, kind of hometown pride, um, a, a lot of like uniqueness to to the team and to the atmosphere. That's the subjective part. Objectively, I absolutely understand the opposing viewpoint that it is unfair. I'm not going to get to illegal because <laughs> if the SEC is saying it's legal, then it's it's legal. But is it unfair? Yes, I think it is unfair. The compromise that they reached, I was I was in school at Mississippi State when the move happened back to allowing the cowbells in. And there's probably about a about four games or so of transitioning to not ringing it all the time to having the rest the bells, you know, graphic pulled up everywhere on the stadium. So as of now, you know, I, I went to the Egg Bowl last year. Um, they, the fans have gotten really good at not ringing those bells when the play is ongoing not not perfect you still probably hear a few thousand bells which is quite loud so <laughs> objectively I, I mean i can definitely understand the concern but at the end of the day if mississippi state was just winning every home game maybe i could say like all right yeah that's that's pretty fair but when you're giving up 20 30 straight points to auburn to a really bad auburn team with the interim coach is the cowbell really doing that much on the field yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about it before, the whole Cowbell thing. I think it's fantastic how they're able to just, as soon as that center touches the ball, they cut off. And then once again, when it's snapped, boom, right back at it. Like, I think that's crazy how they're able to do that. Yeah, you know, we're, we're learning. It took us a few <laughs> years, but we're, we're getting it. <laughs> that sort of cohesiveness is actually something that I saw in Sanford for the first time this past Saturday. Because it was, and you know, we're we still haven't recorded the recap pod. Spoiler, um, so we're going to talk about it here in a minute. But it was quiet enough where in in our seats, when the play was on the opposite side of the field from the scoreboard, you could hear coaches yelling. Like it was that quiet on offense. You couldn't hear what they were saying. But, like, you could hear voices from the coaches yelling. It was so quiet when Georgia was on offense. And that's something that I have not – in all the games I've been to at Sanford, I haven't actually heard the crowd that quiet when the team's on offense. 
So Georgia's getting there too. It just took the largest game in stadium history for people to fan bases are just getting smarter. Um, and actually on a slightly unrelated note, I guess I do want to give a shout out to the Tennessee fans because I tell you what, even when it looked like there's no chance that they're coming back, which they're, you know, especially when it started raining, those fans stayed for pretty much the entire game. I mean, they stayed through that. So kudos, nice. to, dude, kudos to Tennessee fans there. And the ones around me, because they were actually Tennessee fans on the left and right of us, they were all respectful. They were cool. None of them were jerks. A few rows down from us, there were there were some people being obnoxious. And in the section to our right, there were actually some Tennessee fans that tried to start a fight and security had to escort them out. But, I mean, that's – I've heard maybe two or three bad stories from the – probably 6,000 Tennessee fans that were inside the stadium. So for as oh, much man. as they talk online, when it gets face-to-face, they, they're entirely <laughs> different. Do they do they talk online? I haven't seen that. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Twitter is fantastic. <laughs> most of, Yeah, most of my Twitter feed is like, I don't know any of these people, but they're all over here. Yep. <laughs> so back to Mississippi State. Who is your favorite player on this team and why? Favorite player on the team this year is Emmanuel Forbes. Uh, he's fantastic to watch. You, Every time the ball is thrown in his direction, you feel like there's an uh, there's potential he's going to just pick that off. It never feels like he's, you know, oh, man, well, Forbes is playing 20 yards off. It just isn't really you know committed here. No, he is on players pretty much every play. And I mean, he's, he's definitely a future NFL player. Um, you know, he very much reminds me of a faster version of Jonathan Banks from, from back in Mississippi State's uh, days, I guess, in the when I was in school back in the 08 or 09 years. So, you know, I think he's a, uh, on the short list um, for some awards. I mean, he's, he's doing really well. And he, not, he has a real nose for the end zone, too. So he's not just picking balls off, but he's running them back for touchdowns, which is huge. You know, big momentum shifter. So... Uh, Forbes is probably my favorite current player. Yeah, I mean, from the outside looking in, I would say he's probably mine too because he he's one of those players that because he plays for Mississippi State, he'll get drafted like day two, maybe even day three, and he'll be a year one starter and impact player for whatever team he goes to. Yeah. And whatever. I tell you, Mississippi State, underrated uh, defensive pipeline to the NFL. I mean, Preston Smith, Chris Jones, you know, like a lot of defensive linemen, Fletcher Cox, but you know, look at Jonathan Abram. I mean, a lot of these guys, we don't really hear about, you know, you hear about the the Georgia guys and the Bama and the LSU guys. Mississippi State has a lot of players in the NFL. I think Forbes is the next one. Yeah, I mean, even even Simmons last night in that Sunday night football game, he was one of the two or three reasons that Tennessee was even in that game because he was just wrecking the Chiefs offensive line. Look, I think Mississippi State has a claim to defensive line U. I think it has a claim to that. I, I, I can see that. Yeah. I mean, you can – there are four or five legitimate big names in the NFL that all come from Mississippi State on the defensive line. Oh, yeah. I mean, just off the bat, right, Chris Jones, Preston Smith, uh, yep. Fletcher Cox, Montez Sweat, Jeffrey Simmons. I mean, just one after another, these are great players. You know what? That is that is a fantastic point that honestly I never thought about before. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, what do you project the record is at the end of the season? So there's three games left. 
So I guess the best question, best way to phrase this is how do you think they finish in these next three? Sure. So six and three at the moment, I think optimistically eight and four, pessimistically seven and five, right? I mean, you have UG, you have game against UGA. I don't know of any sane person that is picking Mississippi State to win that game. Uh, and so you're, you know, you're sitting at, at six and four at that point, East Tennessee State. I believe they're three and six and maybe like at the bottom of, of their conference. So, and that game is at Davis Wade. So I don't really think that's going to be much of an issue. Hopefully he can give Will Rogers a bit of a rest. So at that point you're looking at, you know, seven and four. And then as it seems like it does every single year, the egg bowl is going to be the decider of how people see this Mississippi state team this year, if they see it as having progress or not. Unfortunately, the team has not played well on the road. This game is on the road um, at Ole Miss. But as it goes, I mean, a lot of weird things happen in the Egg Bowl. So you can't necessarily say for sure any team is going to win. Um, so I, I think that there's a, a very much a, a way that Mississippi State wins that Ole Miss game. I don't think Ole Miss is as good as their record indicates that they are. I think they have a very front-loaded schedule. So we'll see. I think the game against Alabama will be a really good indicator of how good Ole Miss actually is. And maybe they just, you know, ran into a bit of a buzzsaw against that LSU team in the second half. So um, we'll see if they actually are really good. I think um, so optimistically eight and four, and then we'll see what happens with the bowl game. But as of now, I would probably say seven and five. I think if I had to predict it today, I would have them losing Ole Miss mostly because it's at Ole Miss. So, and I will be losing money. Speaking of the Egg Bowl, do you know how it got its name? Like how it became the Egg Bowl? Yeah, it's, it's the battle for the golden egg. Um, I, so the point of it was like a a a, an, a, a, a bell or a cow that had uh, gotten out onto the field. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm trying to remember what the someone had like explained to me where it came from. And I'm just trying to remember what the uh, the point of it was. I think it would. I think it's just always been called like the battle for the golden egg, the tr- because of the way the trophy looked. Yeah. So I think that's kind of how it got its uh, its name there. Yeah, I've I've always been interested about. It. I want to look into that now. Yeah. I do you that, know the history on the cowbell? That was a cow that had wandered onto the field, and <laughs> they ended up winning that game. And so people started bringing the cowbells to look like the bells, the cowbell that was around. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, that one I actually do remember uh, learning about. I, I feel like some people have told me over the years about the the egg. I just I think it's just that the trophy looks like a big egg, so they just called it the egg bowl. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely a battle for the golden egg. Definitely gonna look into that now because I, I I've always wanted to know. All right, so we are gonna get into some game picks here, and once again, most of these are in the SEC. And same as last week, there's just there's not a lot of good games going on outside of the SEC. So, you know, we're going to be homers. So, the first game is, I mean, the spread is extremely surprising, to me at least. You've got TCU at Texas, who is a seven-point home favorite. It's you. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So I am sorry. Um, I am going to take TCU. I think uh, I, I'd take TCU to actually win this one outright. Um, I think people are sleeping on TCU, right? They're being ranked behind Alabama, 
I think that they are a legitimate playoff contender. Not necessarily saying they'd beat you know Georgia uh, or even Ohio State, but I think they have a very legitimate claim to being ranked maybe four, uh, potentially even three in front of Michigan. You know they've had a lot of good wins, uh, so I, I think TCU wins this one. Um, even though I think this may be a game where TCU wins late. I would say Texas is up by a touchdown going into the fourth quarter. TCU comes back. All right. So now we're going to do Alabama, who is an 11-and-a-half-point road favorite at Ole Miss. Yeah, on this one, I'm taking Ole Miss to cover that. Uh, I think – so I think there's a good chance Ole Miss wins this. I would not bet – I would not probably bet on this game necessarily because I because an angry Nick Saban – would not pick – I would not pick Alabama to lose another game, uh, especially before the Iron Bowl, even though I don't think there's going to be much issue with the Iron Bowl. But here I do think I'd take Alabama to win it, but I'd take Ole Miss to cover this one. I think this could be a maybe like a four-point win, maybe like a 28-24 kind of game. I like that. Yeah, I might be stealing that one. <laughs> so next we've actually got a game that I am going to – not the Georgia game, but it's South Carolina at Florida, who is an eight-point home favorite. I think Florida is going to cover this one. Um, I think South Carolina has some offensive problems. I think Florida is finding its footing with Anthony Richardson. I think they're realizing how to utilize him more. Um, you know, they played this A&M game this past weekend, and I would not use that as the necessary necessarily – end all be all of, oh, well, Florida's, you know, they've really gotten it together just because of how depleted AM was due to the, the flu situation as if they needed any more issues. But I think that Anthony Richardson is finding his ability as a quarterback. I think South Carolina is going to have to make, I don't know if it's a change in offensive coordinator or what it is, but they're going to have to look at their coaching staff. I think Florida covers this one. Uh, I think I'd, I'd take that point, point. I think they win by about 10. Next, we've got another surprising spread. You've got Texas A&M, who has had four four losses in a row for the first time since 1980, going to the Plains to play Auburn, who is a one-and-a-half-point home favorite. Oh, it dropped. I d- I'm yeah. not sure why. I, dro- I don't know if it's that other – maybe some A&M players are coming kind of like, quote-unquote, out of the flu – uh, you know, what the issue is, but I'm taking Auburn here. They're going to cover this one. I mean, they're at home. The Cadillac Williams, I mean, that team wants to play with him. There was a part of me that would not have been upset had Auburn won that game because <laughs> I loved watching Cadillac Williams when I was, you know, I think in uh, middle school and high school. I mean, yeah. one of my favorite players to watch um, as I grew up. So seeing him have success at Auburn, even if it's for a short period of time, I don't have no expectation that he'd be the head coach there moving forward, but I want him to do well. I think the players are are hyped for him. I think the running game is going to be huge. I see Tank's, Tank Bigsby maybe having 150 yards rushing. I mean, I think they'll definitely get over 200 yards rushing between Ashford and, and Bigsby and, um, you know, uh, Jarquez Hunter. I mean, the, the I think Auburn is easily covering this one. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what Vegas knows, why the spread is as low as it is, but I think Auburn covers this one. I was like, it opened up at two and a half for Auburn. So that's what I was saying. It dropped. So, yeah. And I, you know, I'm sure we'll get to it later, but I think the best thing Auburn could do 
to turn the culture of their program around and get more players, more recruits interested in playing at Auburn would be to hire Cadillac Williams full-time. Yep. Every Listen, everybody in the – well, I say everybody. I think a lot of Mississippi State fans are really waiting for that press conference where John Cohen is introducing Hugh Freeze as the next head coach at Auburn. <laughs> <laughs> And, and saying what a great man, high value, high moral man he is. I think you're going to see Mississippi State uh, beat writers and press folks asking for press passes to go sit and just bring some popcorn to that uh, press conference. <laughs> I never so, thought about that, but I, you know, that's a day I'm going to get on Twitter and be all over Mississippi State Twitter because oh, yeah. I am here for all of those memes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, hey, and there's that outside chance it could be Lane. I don't. I don't see it. If, yeah, if, if the boosters pay enough money, I mean, I think Ole Miss would try to counter to a point, but Auburn's got more money, right? I mean, right boost, now, right. sorry, if go the ahead. boosters couldn't handle Brian Harson, they're not going to be able to handle Lane Kip. What is so? What is really interesting to me is that the boosters, so they hired John Cohen. John Cohen, pill behind the, the Mississippi State Onion. Yeah. John Cohen is one of the most stubborn people that you will ever meet. He <laughs> is going to stand his ground. He is going to defend his position. Um, and he... So he'll make it two years as the AD like the last and that's it. Yep, that's exactly <laughs> it. He is not someone that really believes in the NIL deal very much, the whole strategy. Yeah. Not bought in on NIL. Um, so that's, I think, probably very problematic. When he left, the NIL like collective at, at Mississippi State, run by this guy, Charlie Winfield, the, the Bulldog Initiative, had like, I think about two or 300 people that had been signed up for it. When he left, one of the things he said was that, oh, well, you know, the team ha- didn't have a great NIL strategy, to which a lot of fans said, well, you were the athletic director. You were responsible for that. Well, that collective in the last week has passed a thousand members. Jeez. Good so Lord. that it's because it's in, in spite of John Cohen. So, you know, he's burned some bridges leaving Starkville. I have no idea how his interactions with boosters at Auburn is, is going to be and what that strategy is going to look like. So it is going to be a lot of, a lot of popcorn um, that's going to be eaten at uh, these Auburn press conference coming up. Right. All right, so now to the big one, the game we've been talking about. Your heart split in half. (laughs) Georgia, who is a a 16-and-a-half-point road favorite going into the land of the cowbell at Mississippi State. I will be wearing maroon. My wife will be wearing red. She's a Georgia (laughs) grad. Um, I may have to wear, like, a red T-shirt underneath or something. Because I would take Georgia with the points, covering, over, name it, whatever you want. If you want Georgia at minus 19 and a half or 21 and a half, you can have it. Um, <laughs> I think my score prediction for this game might be something like 42 to 13, something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah I, think, I think Georgia puts up two touchdowns early. Mississippi State, maybe a touchdown late, a couple field goals. And I mean, that's, that's all she wrote there. Yeah, no, I, 
I definitely see where you're coming from because I feel like Georgia, after that Tennessee game, still has a chip on their shoulder. For sure. I, and I don't think – here's the thing. The only way that I think Mississippi State wins is if Kirby Smart just forgets that they have a game this week. They're just like, oh, let's, let's load up the buses. We forgot about this. And I don't think that that's going to happen. So, no. I, yeah, I don't I don't think this is going to be much of a, a, a battle. I think the defense for Mississippi State maybe holds – Georgia, you know, like maybe even 14 to 17 first half points. And then I think Mississippi State's offense's inability to score points is what just breaks the will of the defense. I don't think the defense is not deep enough to hold multiple squads of five stars to a couple touchdowns for an entire 60 minutes. Yeah. So back into the fun stuff. We got some guest questions here. And as all of our listeners know, we do this to put a person behind the name, you know, especially with the age of social media. There's so many people just talking stupid shit all over the Internet about people that they don't really know. So we're going to give people the opportunity to get to know you here. So with the first question, what is your first college sports memory? And this doesn't have to be Mississippi State, doesn't have to be football, just the very first thing you remember about college sports. The first one I really remember is probably watching the, I think it was the 04, maybe it was going into 05 national championship that was USC against Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. um, and thinking that it would have been so awesome to see Auburn with Ronnie Brown, Cadillac Williams playing this game because Oklahoma just got drubbed. But that's the first, like, I still vividly remember watching that game and thinking, man, like, I just, like, USC was, you know, as as I remember, USC was like this, this is the team. This is, you just, this is the juggernaut, the yep. standard, the all-star, kind of how people I can maybe have viewed Alabama the last few years, right? I think, and now maybe viewing Georgia. That's how I saw USC. So that was probably my first memory of at least I, I'm going to split this up of watching it on TV, watching in person. My first memory was three to Auburn. And that's when I knew that I was in for a really tough fanhood. Uh, <laughs> it was in the rain at night, my freshman year of college. Uh, first, I think that was the first home game for Mississippi state. Uh, just just rough and the and what was funny and i'll tell you like a very quick story here later so i lived in the dorm there's all guys dorm right next to the burger king after the game so a bunch of us went to the burger king to uh just grab some food uh we were gonna have a little impromptu ping pong match but as we we're waiting for the food some players from mississippi state actually came in to so anthony led by anthony dixon shout out booby and they came in and they ordered food and the server, or sorry, the, the cashier looked like another like student worker, refused to serve them because the game was so bad. <laughs> and they got into this whole verbal argument and they finally just up and left. And the guy, everybody was just actually started cheering for the cashier. And they were like, yeah, you do the right thing, man. They didn't, they didn't earn that. Uh, so that was just, that was wild. So uh, I knew then, I was, this is, is going to be rough. I think hey, that's you... If you play so poorly, you don't deserve Burger King. That's a really <laughs> bad day. Hey, don't sleep on those chicken fries. Yes. Yes. That's fair. Think... With the onion ring sauce? Oh, yeah. I, I took chicken fries multiple times into the courtroom uh, when I was uh, interning at the district attorney's office in Charlotte a few years ago. <laughs> I just walk in, uh, you know, got the chicken fries. I snuck in uh, from from one of the uh, the assistants. I mean, 
you know, you got to win a case. So you got to, you're going to need some chicken fries. But that three, two game, I think that's like one of those days that like everyone remembers where they were. Like I, I was at Hooters with my mom and my best friend watching that game. Like <laughs> it was rough times. The rain did not help. It did not. It was pissing that game. Nope. And even All the right. safety, it was even the sorry, even the safety wasn't really earned. They just gave it to us. Huh, must be nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So if you were a recruit and could not go to Mississippi State, and you know what, just to make this interesting, you couldn't go to Georgia either. <laughs> Which three teams would get your top official visits? So one Miami. Because it's in Miami, and uh, I'm I'm sure they're only going to take me out to the Burger King, and they're not going to take me out to anywhere anywhere else, right? Um, <laughs> but if they were to take me out somewhere else, I mean, I'd be all for it. So yeah, Miami, uh, I think for sure. Uh, I think second, I would probably want to visit Ohio State. I ha- I mean, and and the reason I say that is because I see that entire town, that place, as just being built for college football. Like if I want to be treated like a king, I'm going to visit Ohio State. Like if I'm if I'm a five star recruit, which this is my dream, so I'm a five star recruit, then I'm <laughs> going to Ohio State and I am I am getting the absolute all star treatment, even if it's just for a day. Um, and then finally, we're gonna go on vacation. We're gonna go visit the Rainbow Warriors of Hawaii, and uh, and and go see them. Yeah, if you go if you go to Ohio State, your number one thing should be like, I want to meet LeBron. Yep. That that's definitely part of it. LeBron is actually my Uber driver. He's picking me up from the airport. I want that <laughs> for sure. And I will say Hawaii is the answer we have gotten the least. That is my favorite answer. Yeah, I don't I mean, there's I I I see it as like I want one place where it's really cool and trendy and you know kind of high end, like a Miami visit would be. And then I want something that just feels like a cathedral to to football, to sports. And then I want somewhere where nobody's going to bother me because I'm going to be sitting on a beach. <laughs> See, and surprisingly, one of the answers we haven't gotten, which is one of my top three, is Oregon, just because of the swag you're going to get. Oh, yeah, that's right. Nike we we get a lot of Oregon. Well, we also, when we had Rob from Oregon on, we didn't give him the option to say Oregon. <laughs> Fair. I, I think USC is probably another good one, right? Yeah. Get that LA vibe. Yep. <laughs> All right. So pick a spot outside of the United States for your team to host their rivalry game. So anywhere outside of the country for the Egg Bowl to be played, where are you going to pick? So outside of the country, there is actually – so, okay. So in Singapore – they actually have a floating stadium. So the seating is kind of at the edge of dry land. And then the field is surrounded by water. I think that is awesome. And as an added bonus, I have heard that the presence of water is problematic for land sharks. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. I think we have a strategic advantage. Some bulldogs have been known to swim. The land shark bears or whatever. That's right. No, no rebel black bears. (laughs) 
So I'm actually looking at the field right now, and everyone that listens to the show knows I'm a big Formula One fan. And the Formula One track in Singapore actually goes right past the stadium, and I never knew it was here. There you go. I might have to change my answer now. I don't know. The Iceland the Iceland fields, those are pretty Yeah. Adam Spencer said that um he would want to he would want Missouri and Kansas to play on a soccer field in Iceland. And if you want some Google homework, go look up Icelandic soccer fields and you may also change your answer. <laughs> oh, man. I have to do that. I, I will say selfishly, I'd probably want to pick somewhere that had a great view. So somewhere you know, like Switzerland or something would be pretty cool. Look uh, up the Icelandic soccer fields. It's like uh, on the side of a volcano with oh a fjord gosh. at the bottom oh. of the hill. And... Oh my god. Yeah, I, I may have to change my answer too. <laughs> uh, this looks less humid as well. So if your team's getting destroyed, you at least have a good view. Yeah, yeah. This works. <laughs> I, I could have watched that entire third quarter just looked at the scenery over here. All right. So in your opinion, what is the best spot in the stadium to have a seat? Uh, slight, almost upper deck midfield. I think that, so I don't like sitting too low in a stadium because you miss what's happening on the other side of the field. Right. And then same thing kind of in the corners. It's like the other, the other side of the field, I guess, long ways is a little too far away, but getting a little bit like mid upper deck in the middle, I think is absolutely perfect. Not in a suite. I'm actually not a huge suite fan in terms of just watching a game. Lots of distractions. You got the glass in front of you, but basically at suite level. So maybe like the other side of the, the stadium or like right under the suites. I think it's probably for me the perfect spot. That's actually yeah, and all the free alcohol can be distracting. It's maybe somebody drops a beer. I catch it underneath, you know. There you go. Yeah, no, that spot you uh you mentioned was actually the first spot I've watched a Georgia game in person in Sanford. So it's a good start. It was a great those are great seats. All right. So our next question, we'll you know what? We'll we'll make this Athens specific. At First, did you end up going out on Saturday night? We did, yeah. Uh, Blue Sky. Went to Blue Sky. Okay. We did not because we were soaking wet and both felt awful, and we ended up just going back to the house and drinking a little bit. So, Fair enough. I know. We went, uh, we went back to our house, changed, then went to dinner, um, and then we went out. And it so happened, I so I ended up driving downtown, and I got a free parking spot right by the Starbucks. So we were 20 nice. feet from our entrance. It was incredible. Like someone was leaving right as we pulled up. <laughs> yeah, that's luck. No, we, so we tried to go back out. And then by the time like our whole group met back up, Ubers with the surge was like $50 to get downtown mm. from the east side. And we were like, man, we got beer and liquor in the fridge. Let's just stay here. <laughs> that is the adult decision. The few times I've gone out in downtown Athens, has made me realize how old I am because we were we were standing at Blue Skies, very busy. And so we were talking and then there's like a little bit of a lull as we were kind of seeing what all is happening around us. There's a group of guys on the uh, just to our left. And one of the guys said, oh man, you know, I can't wait to visit Europe one day. I've heard it's amazing. Another guy goes, yeah, man, I've watched some YouTube videos. Europe looks so cool. And we were just looking at each other like, man, we had these conversations 10 years ago too. And that's where, like, it's time to go. 
(laughs) (laughs) But if you're in Athens, long night of drinking, Mm -hmm. what is your go-to food? It's pizza. It's pizza and it's at Little Italy. And just really quickly, sorry, I don't know if I'm like taking up too much time, but real quick, what I'm going to tell you is, so my, my, uh, one of my favorite memories, and this, it sounds really odd, but we had gone to, so it was a group of us, we had gone to Little Italy and we had, we've had pizza there plenty of times. It's great. It's greasy. It's going to soak up all of the alcohol. So it's going to be a perfect night. We went in there one time, got in line, guy comes up behind me and, and asks us, Hey, have you ever had the Italian here? It's like, no, I've never had the Italian here. So oh, it's a great sub. You should get it. I'm like, okay, well, it's good to know. Probably going to get pizza. He said, well, you know, well, what if, what if I get the Italian and I split it with you, but you let me sit with you? So I'm like, okay, that's fine. So he gets the Italian, sits down, splits it with us. We love it. And so he says, well, can I come out with you? I said, sure. So we step out of Little Italy and he's gone. He's vanished, vanished. He's not there. So we are absolutely sure that there is a ghost of Little Italy who just offers out Italian subs, and I recommend. <laughs> so, uh, what's funny is, I used to do the sprinkler inspections for the apartments over Little Italy, like that whole building, Georgia Heights. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you that based on what I've heard from the maintenance people, there are quite a few students who have overdosed in those apartments. So it is entirely possible. Huh. Well, well, I think isn't Georgia Heights one of the fancy places too? Oh yeah, like you can see yeah. you can see part of the stadium from most of the rooms. Oh wow, great! Yeah, place but if you OD, I guess. if you I was about to say if you have the money for those apartments, you have the money for drugs. This is a fair point. Fair point. All right. So, which team or fan base is your favorite to talk shit to? <laughs> Ah, man. So I'm, that's a, that's a tough question. I think Ole Miss is a low hanging fruit here. So I'm not going to go with them because I think it's the kind of the natural rivalry, but I would probably say my favorite fan base to talk shit to is probably Tennessee because, and I, so I think there are a lot of great Tennessee fans, but I have never encountered a fan base that is as quick to declare themselves as being fully relevant and fully back as quick as the Tennessee fans are every year good wins. And it's we're we're number one. We're the best. We cannot be stopped. And I think a little dose of humility will do them a lot of good. So what's funny is they got it this past week, obviously. Right. And then it's either they went radio silent or they were immediately like, Oh, I knew Georgia was going to win the game. I was just lying and talking shit the whole time. Oh, I'm seeing a lot of I'm seeing a lot of neutral site. We probably win that one, you know, like, and it's like, all right. Oh, the the rain did it. The, it's all the rain. The rain that you know that didn't come till halfway through the third quarter. But hey, <laughs> the, and the I will say that rain six. hit so hard. I could see it from came the t- out of nowhere, <laughs> and it it started, and it was like a couple sprinkles, and I thought somebody beside me like spilled some water. Like I, I legitimately like I was looking around on the ground for somebody that dropped a water bottle, and then by the time I looked over to Kelsey, it was pouring down rain. <laughs> Best part of that was finally embracing it after five minutes. Like oh, this is really uncomfortable. I was like, no, 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 you know what? It's happening. Once you embraced it, it yeah. is an incredible atmosphere. You can't get wetter than you already are. So absolutely. Oh, and I found out anyone that is listening, if you have a seat back in Sanford Stadium. 
you can pick up the actual seat portion and flip it under the seat. So it'll stay dry while you're standing, and then you flip it back onto the seat, and you have a dry place to sit. Why are you sitting? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's it's the 15 TV timeouts during the third quarter is why I was sitting. <laughs> Bro, I about lost it on those TV timeouts. <laughs> it was... <sighs> but... So I think we we have completed this preview here. Um, do you have anything you want to say before you get out of here and we quit taking up your night? Uh, well, one, thank you guys for having me on. Second, listen, I just hope everyone has fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it for me. Okay. Uh, once again, we we really truly do appreciate you coming on with us. Super late notice. A uh, little inside the park baseball here. I texted Sarthik at like 7.20 and said, hey, do you have time to record tonight? And he said, yeah, what time? So so it's extremely late notice, but he is an absolute awesome person. And uh, on top of letting us tailgate with him this past Saturday, came on, talked with us for over an hour. Uh, we really, truly do appreciate it. Yeah, thank, thank you. Guys. All right, see you. See you. So we want to thank Sarthak again for coming on with us. I mean, you know us. We are honest to a fault. We legitimately texted him like 40 minutes before we were recorded, and he was gracious enough to give us a little over an hour of his time tonight. So shout out to him once again. But we're going to get into our breakdowns of the games this weekend. Um, starting with the same one, we've got TCU at Texas who is a seven-point favorite, and the over-under is, let me pull it 65. back up here. 65. 65. Crazy. You know, I, you know I love a good over-under in the 60s. That means it's going to be a fun game. And it looks like Vegas has finally figured out to just put an absurdly high over on TCU games. There's like, you know what? Um, they did, I don't know, they did like 70 points last week. Let's do a couple less than that and see what we can find out. But Texas, I, Texas has been way too up and down. Their quarterback health has been an issue all season. Um, when they are healthy, I think they are very dangerous and they deserve to be ranked when healthy. But I also think that TCU, I don't see TCU getting beat again this season. I mean, they haven't beat yet. I don't think. No, they get I said, beat. what do you mean, beat again? I look, man. It's been a long day. <laughs> I don't. I don't think TCU gets beat this season. I think they make it through the Big Twelve Championship undefeated. Um, and at that point, it'll be up to the committee to decide if you know TCU's rank five at the time ranked wins potentially up to seven, depending on on how the rest of the schedule shakes out is good enough to go in over someone that lost her conference championship game. I think is really going to be what that comes down to. Um, so I've got TCU obviously covering because I think they're going to win outright. What about you? Yeah. No, I mean, you know, I love the horny lizards. Um, I don't think the horny lizards for the dub. I can't remember if I picked against them this year or not. Um, I can't remember the Kansas game if I picked against them. I picked against them for Oklahoma State. 
We did. We did. Mm-hmm. I think we might have. I don't remember. But no, I, I think I'm, I'm on the same page you do. You know, we both have them in our final four. Or not our final four, in our final four, but our top four. Um, rightfully so. They definitely deserve to be up there. They have not been given the credit they deserve this year. And I think they continue to um, to roll. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting because this game is in Austin. Um, I think that may have something to do with it. And we still, I'm not sure at this point, and like y'all know, it's Monday night. Um, I'm not sure at this point if Quinn Ewers is playing in this game because I know he's been in and out for most of the season. But I think if he plays and their defense can, you know, perform the same way they did against Bama, I think Texas could win this game. I just – TCU has been – they made some deal with the devil because they have have trailed in five of their nine wins. They're not allowed to make a deal with the devil. Oh, right, Christian University. They made a deal with God. That's right. My bad. My bad. The purple horny lizards are righteous. Do you, you see what the Oklahoma State fans did this, last week? They took the, you know, the little horns, and they did, like, they – instead of doing the horns down, they did, like, the little horny things, and they put them down. I was like, what? I, I'll be honest. I didn't know TCU did the – Yeah. I'm a little disappointed, though. I – I feel like that's taken something from Texas. And everybody yeah. hates Texas, so I just – it's kind of lame. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, looking at it now, I don't see how, it, like, it's a little horny frog, but, yeah, that that's a little symbol. You know what? I They just lost a half a, a half a little dash of respect from me on that. That's kind of lame. <laughs> I'm being honest. Oh, you I, should see that. You should see their hype video. If that disappoints you, you see their hype video. Oh, is it as bad as Georgia was last year? The one, that, the one they play in the stadium? Oh, oh no. I was talking about last year. Georgia had some awful hype videos that they put out on social media last season. Oh, no. I'll, I'll have to send it to you. They got, like, yeah. people doing the lawnmower. And, and it, oh, no. Oh, yeah. Uh, Hey, you know what? Go ahead and put that in the Facebook group. Shameless plug, join the Facebook group. Search at Nothing Finer Podcast on Facebook. Um, yeah, put that in the Facebook group because we'll all make fun of some sheltered white kids. Oh, sorry. I got you. Hold on. Keep going. All right. So the next game we're going to talk about is Alabama, who is an 11-and-a-half-point <laughs> road favorite at Ole Miss. Um. I'll be honest, I don't know what to think about this game. I I struggle to know what to think about this game because outside of outside linebacker, running back, and quarterback, Alabama is average at best. Their wide receivers, are, the rest of their team outside of quarterback, running back, and outside linebackers is just not – it's not good. But then again, Ole Miss has a running – has a running offense, but they struggle to do anything really passing the ball. So, like I said, I I really struggle with this. I think if Jackson – I think if Ole Miss uses the bye week to their advantage, like they should be capable of doing with Lane Kiffin, they'll cover the 11 and a half. But I don't – as far as I know, 
Nick Saban's never lost back-to-back games at Alabama. No, not that I can. So that's I, I, I. Ole Miss has a shot. I don't know if they can do it though. What What are your thoughts <laughs> while I'm trying to figure out my my money line pick? Yeah, <clears throat> Jesus Christ! I don't know what's going on. Um. <clears throat> Hold on, I'm dying. You're good. You're good. Are you still getting all jacked up with the flu shot? Dude, no, I don't know what's going on. My up and down, up and down. But, um, I mean, they probably gave me Wi-Fi. Who knows? <laughs> um, so, little interjection here. Nick Saban did lose back-to-back games in his first season but has not lost back-to-back games since his first season at Alabama. Well, his first season, he also lost, like, Louisiana Monroe. So That's why they had a revenge game against ULM earlier this season. But, um, no, I, I see Ole Miss covering. Just like you said, Bama is mediocre at best this year. Like, I understand where, like, people are coming from talking about, you know, Tennessee, you know, has one of the best resumes because they beat Alabama. But if you look at Alabama's body of work this year, it's not what Alabama normally is. And, and it's on the road, which is where they've had their worst performances. Yeah, and I love Lane. Love Lane. Love Ole Miss. I, I'm pretty sure I'm like most people where, like, I have a tiny bit of, like, fanhood for Ole Miss. Like, I always have, and I don't know why. Um. But yeah, no, I like Ole Miss to cover, but I think Alabama ultimately pulls it out. Wouldn't that be wild if Ole Miss won this game at home? Know, it would be a third field rushed on Alabama this season because you know that would happen. But it would also be the first time Nick Saban's had three regular season losses since his first season at Alabama. You there? Are you there? Are you there? Oh, sorry, y'all. We're having technical difficulties. Wes is in the same spot on my screen, and I don't hear anything he's saying. So, do you think that they rush the field again? Like, yeah, it's Alabama, but they're number 10, and they're not what Alabama normally has been this season. Yes, but this would be first off, Lane is the personality of the program at this point, right? And you can just imagine the Lane Kiffin on the field post game interview after beating Nick Saban, handing him his first third loss since his first, very first season at Alabama, getting out Ole Miss's first win against Alabama since 2015. I think Ole Miss would rush the field. Yeah. I do. Speak, speaking of – Jermaine Burrow, Burton might hit somebody again. You never know. Yeah, did he punch anybody at the LSU game? No, but an LSU fan ran up to Nick Saban with his fist up and got bodied by a state patrol officer. <laughs> I didn't see that. That's great, though. Uh, but, I posted it in the group. You got to go look at it because it's hilarious. 
But speaking of field rushing, did you see what happened at Kansas with the security? Oh, are you talking about the security or how they trolled the shit out of Tennessee? Well, but so security had a had like a debriefing, and they're like, "Look, they took the goalpost. Shit happens." That's literally what he said. Like the whole like security, he's like, "Look, they took the goalpost. Shit happens." <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> Kansas Twitter account when they hours after their goalposts were taken into a lake on campus, they <laughs> tweeted a picture of new goalposts and said, "No yeah. GoFundMe needed." Yeah. When Kansas is trolling you, Tennessee, you should probably take a step back and look at your life choices. Just hey, Ken. hey, Adam Spencer, Kansas is bowl eligible. Kansas, yep. Adam is one game wrong so far, and I don't think Missouri's bowl eligible yet. So, <laughs> no, but I will say if Oklahoma State had Spencer Spencer Sanders healthy, they win that game. Yeah. He's an awesome quarterback. He's just been hurt. Um, But I think we're going to move on from Alabama, Ole Miss, and our other tangents to get into a game that I'm actually going to that is not the Georgia game. Um, We're going to throw out another hashtag thanks vet ticks because I got free tickets to the South Carolina at Florida game, which is sold out. It's their veterans appreciation game. Um, Why are you looking at me funny? Why would you want to go to the swamp, even if it's free? Because I told you this before. I want to go to every SEC stadium, and I know I am not emotionally mature enough to go in. Georgia's playing there. And Georgia never plays in the swamp. So I got an opportunity for free tickets. I'm going to go hang out with Bobby Burchins and Joe Morrison. I'm taking Sean DeBerry and his son. Oh, dear God. And we're just – you know, I'm going to wear my Georgia gear, and we're going to have a good time. We're, we're going to leave right after the Tom Petty tribute. <laughs> and Unless it's a shootout. If it's like, damn, 35-35 going into the fourth quarter, I'll probably stay. Oh, yeah. But if it's not a shootout, we're going to leave and then find somewhere to watch the Georgia game on the way home. You, got, you have to get a Beamer ball towel. I don't know if I can get one here soon enough. Drive to Columbia, just shoot him a message like, hey, I'm coming okay. to get a towel. Look, y'all, <laughs> y'all, the listeners, have not made us enough money for me to quit my job yet to be able to drive to Columbia. Yeah, listen. I will. You know what? We'll we'll send Chris Phillips a message after this and see if I buy one, how soon he can get it to me. Do it. Tell him you're going to the game. I'm sure I'm sure he'll drive it to you. I don't know. Oh, yeah. No, I would 100% bring a Beamer ball towel because, spoiler, there's supposed to be a hurricane coming through the Georgia, Florida area on Thursday and Friday. So chances are the stadium's going to be wet. So, so you need a you need a beamer ball I, towel. I need a beamer ball towel. At Chris Phillips, I need a beamer ball towel. I want I just want memorabilia, man. I love sports memorabilia. I need yeah. I need I need an office so I can put things places. Hey, look, Kelsey got me a desk today. I'll be setting my office up. I got, I'm going to get a whiskey cabinet, put all my whiskey behind me here. So here in the next month or so, I would say hopefully by SEC Championship weekend, y'all will see all of my stuff set up back here. I won't have a background anymore. I'll have a whiskey cabinet with all of my Georgia stuff. You get a blank wall behind me. 
Just take some Sharpie and put a G on it. Base <laughs> housing will pay for it. I'll just put my new like shadow box just next to me. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, well, we got South Carolina at Florida. And as we all know, both of these defenses are not very good. South Carolina, no. South Carolina gave up 30 plus points to Vanderbilt. Hey. Mandy was good at the beginning of the year. Hell, they were good on Saturday. They put up 37 points on South Carolina. Vanderbilt put up more points on South Carolina than Missouri did. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. Um, we got South Carolina going into the swamp. It seems like South Carolina changed some things offensively last week. Like, they finally got Jaheim Bell and Dak Joyner the ball. I... The fact that Marcus Satterfield was like, hmm, I have two offensive players that could probably play for any team in the SEC. Let's try to get them the ball as little as possible up until this game last weekend. Just absolutely blows my mind. It makes no sense. But maybe they figured something out. Maybe he realized that he was going to lose his job if they couldn't score more than 24 points in a game. We don't really know. But on the flip side of this coin – Florida has also seemed to figure some things out, especially against some defenses that aren't necessarily that great, a.k.a. South Carolina. Um, I do think Florida wins, but because I'm going to this game, I'm going to pick the cover or I'm going to pick the spread with my heart and hope that it's South Carolina covers the eight. I want to see a close game. Yeah, um, I mean, as much as it hurts me to say it, I'm not going to. Um, I'm just going to say I'm agree- I'm going to agree with you. South Carolina covers. I'm not going to say the other thing. <laughs> hey, every time Florida wins, it just makes Georgia look better. That's true, but we already have the best resume in college football. I mean, it do be facts, though. It do be facts. When Oregon is putting up 40-plus points this after the Georgia game, Tennessee has put up 40-plus points in every game but the Georgia game, and they've averaged they averaged 16 points in that Georgia game combined. Yeah. You are not incorrect, but any addition to the resume is always a good look. Oh, always. But I like adding L's to Florida when I spell out Florida. So. <laughs> Bobby's just going to call you stupid and say you can't spell. <laughs> Next game is I feel like on the national national scale is going to go very uh, very underappreciated because both these teams are essentially fighting for bowl eligibility, and there's a chance neither of them get it. But I think as far as SEC long term implications, it's going to be a very interesting game to watch because we're talking about Texas A and M at Auburn going to the Plains with Auburn at a one and a half point favorite. What I think is really interesting about this game is this is Texas A&M's first time on a – are they on five-game losing streak now? It's four or five. Five. No, four. I'm sorry. Four. Hold on. Now you got me all confused. Whatever it is, this is the first time they have had this long of a losing streak since 1980. And as Georgia fans, we have all heard 1980 jokes. Now we get to say them. <laughs> hey. Um. But 
We've also got Auburn, who, with an interim head coach, put up, I don't know, probably their hardest fight in the last two seasons combined, with the exception of the Iron Bowl last year. I mean, Cadillac Williams coached the hell out of that team, and I know we talked about it with Sarkak, but I think that if Auburn actually wanted to get recruits, get players to actually play for the team, they would hire him full-time. But if anything, he may stay on as an associate head coach or something because I think they're going to go hard after Hugh Freeze, who's going to hate the program and either get fired or quit in the next three or four years. I mean, he won't have to hate the program because Auburn will just fire him in three. So, The thing about Auburn, and, you know, we're getting on kind of a tangent here, thing about Auburn is that if their boosters would just rein their shit in, they are poised to be a year-in and year-out elite team. Is that Yellowwood fella? Yeah. We're a big anti-Yellowwood podcast, um, in case you didn't know. No, we're not, because he's making Auburn suck. Yeah, I want Auburn to be good. They're almost as bad as Georgia Tech on the schedule right now. Yeah, A&M's on a five-game losing streak. Five-game losing streak. First time since 1980. Hashtag 1980 and not the way you think. 1998. (laughs) But with this one, I think Auburn wins outright, and I think it's probably closer to a touchdown than less than a field goal. Um, So I'm going to take Auburn to win and cover on this one. What about you? Yeah, um, I definitely – the way that Auburn fought with Cadillac is something you didn't see from the scene when they had Harson. If the score was like it was, you know, 24 to 6 going into the half with Harson, they they would have folded and it would have been way worse than it was. But the fact that they came back and went into overtime. They scored more second half points against Mississippi State than they did the entire season combined. Jesus, really? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, but just seeing that fight that they had and just the look on Cadillac's face the whole game was – I mean, the quotes he had after the game. Yeah. I remember watching him and Ronnie Brown, like the greatest running back duo probably in all of college football back when they were playing in college. Pissed me off, but I enjoyed – and just seeing him, which is crazy because now I feel old. You are old. I know. But, um, no, I think Auburn comes out. I think the plane is going to be rocking. Um, it might break the record that Sanford just set against Tennessee. That ain't happening. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. But the, that plane is going to be rocking. Cadillac's going to have those dudes ready to fight. And I think Auburn pulls it out. Yeah. No, I, if Auburn is going to get someone like Kirby, someone that went there, that cares about the school, that is a phenomenal coach, can be a phenomenal recruiter. If they want someone like that, this is their shot. And I'm sure we'll talk about it the more we go into the season and the longer they don't have a head coach. But I firmly believe that if Auburn wants to get started back on the right track, Cadillac Williams is right higher. Yeah, as much as I'd love, I would love to see Cadillac on the sidelines, 
I think Auburn is going to try and go for like a big splashy hire, a big name. I don't think they're going to go with Cadillac just because that's not who Auburn is. And Auburn doesn't like to it, do what's best for the program. Yes, and and look, you got like for instance Kirby. Kirby coached at a big name school before he was hired as a head coach. I, I'm pretty, if I'm not mistaken, I think Cadillac was just like coaching high school or coaching like little colleges before he became like one of the assistants. He was the at OC Auburn. at IMG Academy. Yeah, see? And I, I, that's the only reason I think Auburn doesn't hire him. I would love to see it because like you said, I think, especially running backs, they would get hella running backs if they brought in, if they brought in, because Ronnie Brown is also on the staff. Yeah. So you have, you have the greatest running back doing possibly all of college football on your staff could have one as the head coach, and they're not going to do it. You want to know the last time Auburn hired a coach that was most recently a uh, or recently a high school coach? Gus Malzahn took him to a national championship in the second year as head coach. Um, no, luck took them to a national championship in his second year as a head coach. Regardless, it was <laughs> Gus Malzahn who yeah. went to a national championship. Gus Malzahn also has the best record of any active head coach against Nick Saban. That is true. Intelligent people say that he should never should have been fired, but you know, I don't claim to call myself intelligent. I mean, you're not, so that's ah, fair. <laughs> All right. Last game we're going to talk about before we close out this week 11 preview is Georgia, who is a 16-and-a-half-point road favorite at Mississippi State. And Vegas gives three-and-a-half points to the home team in college football. So that means Georgia on a neutral site would be a 20-point favorite. Jeez. It, what I've said all season is that Mississippi State has an offense to attack what this defense is – inexperienced that right like they do those mesh routes they do those slants they do the running back flat routes to that are going to attack your slot defender your inside linebackers and everything that Georgia was super young at um well the Georgia defense just last week told me to shut the fuck up <laughs> because yeah. personal yeah, no, uh, Smile Mondin and Javon Dumas Johnson, along with Malachi Starks and Javon Bullard, all first-year players on this defense, played out of their damn minds all day. Yeah. And even the backups when uh, Pop went out for a little bit and when Smale needed a break because he's still getting back from his injury, like even the backups were playing with their hair on fire. Well, even when so, Bill got hurt. What's that? Even when Bill got hurt, they didn't miss a beat. Yeah. No, I – every question I've had about how Georgia should be able to do things against this Mississippi State offense were question or were answered on Saturday against Tennessee. Um, as most of you guys know, I don't put money on Georgia games, but – I would take Georgia plus the points on the or minus the points on this. I just 
Mississippi State seem very dangerous until they give and have continued to give up substantial amounts of running yards against Kentucky and last week against Auburn. And now you've got Georgia with arguably the best line offensive line in the SEC with one of the top two or three running back rooms in the SEC coming and definitely the best defense in the SEC. I just I don't I don't see how Mississippi State can cover that 16 and a half. So I'm taking Georgia with the points. I think I'm starting to get your um, Mark Rick anxiety syndrome. Um, I see us winning. I do. Um, I don't see covering 16. I'm saying 16 is a big number. Huge number. Um, I don't see a way Mississippi Georgia State. Georgia beat the number one offense in college football statistically by 14 points last week. Yeah, I understand that. But that's also with Kirby straight up saying we didn't even prepare for Florida. We just looked ahead to Tennessee. <laughs> yes, but <laughs> so if you break it down, Mississippi State runs a very similar offense to Tennessee. They're both how mummy disciples at the end of the day, right? But Mississippi State just doesn't run the ball. So Georgia yeah. has less to prepare for this week. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to lose. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're going to lose. I I don't think it's 16. Granted, I mean, all it is is a touchdown and a field goal. is 16. Two touchdowns. Two, touch, two, t- yeah, I don't know, two touchdowns and a field goal. But, Way to go, infantry! Clearly, you didn't pass the math bar to the the ASVAB. Actually, you are correct. Um, <laughs> no, I I see them winning. I see them comfortably winning, but I don't see it 16, if that makes sense. Um, last time, which I just found out, we went to Starkville in 2010. I don't know why I don't remember that. And we lost. We lost 24 to 12. Um, 2010 was not a good year for us. Uh, but they win. They win convincingly, but they don't cover. Wow. Wow. I, I, I think it's a 14-point – 13, 14-point win. I don't think they cover. I think it's, like, right on the outside. And it could be because of, a, like, a garbage time touchdown Mississippi State has. But I don't think they cover. I'm a little shocked to hear you say that. Do I still think this team has a chip on their shoulder? Yes. But do I think they try to come – they come in on a high, yes. And I think they overlook Mississippi State, and I, I think it's closer than the experts say. But like I said, it could just be because of a garbage time touchdown by Mississippi State, but I don't see them covering. All right. So that is going to do it for – most of our preview this week, but as all of our longtime listeners know, and I say longtime like we've been around for years, it's been July. <laughs> but all of our listeners know that we're both veterans, and as we did last week, we're going to continue to highlight a veteran around college football every week. And this week, we are actually going to talk about Arthur Lynch. He was a tight end for the University of Georgia. Um, and he was drafted in the NFL. He spent, he was a fifth round draft pick in the NFL. 
let's see here. He played during Aaron Murray's time. Wait, he was a veteran? I'm getting to it. Get oh, to it. <laughs> Sorry, that's um, I'll go with who you said. <laughs> it team veteran or uh team captain during his time on the Bulldogs. He was one of Aaron Murray's go-to targets. His final game against Auburn. 15 catches for 216 yards and four touchdowns. Damn. No, those, that's his last three four games. I apologize. I apologize. His last four games, Auburn, Georgia Tech, when Georgia Tech was good, Kentucky and Nebraska in the bowl game, 15 catches, 216 yards, four touchdowns. Um, if he had that in one game, Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, that would be a record. That would be a record. <laughs> um. But once he was drafted, he played for the Dolphins, Jets, Broncos, and he ended up playing for the Falcons for a little bit. But he did end up essentially getting kicked out of the NFL for medical reasons. He ended up having two back surgeries in six weeks to try and recover from that. But after that, he went through the process. He had to get multiple, multiple waivers. Um had to get a ton of waivers because he had two back surgeries, right? Like the military doesn't like taking people like that. But he got those waivers, and he's actually currently an infantry officer in the Army. I'm not really? sure where he's serving. Um, I Yeah, I have no idea where he's serving, and it's I, we should reach out to him once the season's over because we're kind of booked up here for the next few weeks. Um, but yeah, the Arthur fact, Lynch is currently an officer in the army. I want to say he's a captain. The fact that he was able to go into the infantry with multiple back surgeries is crazy, yeah. Especially considering we were both infantry, I spent six years in, have three slip discs in my back, and that's what he had back surgeries for. That's crazy, like that. That's no joke because anyone that doesn't know anything about the military. The infantry is one of those lift with your back, not your legs kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can do it wrong, you're going to do it wrong. Yes. But big shout out to Arthur Lynch, um, currently serving. Uh, we're going to work on getting him on. It was kind of kind of last minute this whole episode. But once again, just shout out Arthur Lynch. Both of us understand most of what you're going through, but neither of us have been officers. So there's a reason. <laughs> there's a reason because being an officer sucks. But that is going to do it for this week 11 preview from the Nothing Finer podcast. Once again, go follow all of our social medias. Instagram is nothing.finer.pod, Twitter is at finerpod. Facebook group is just search Nothing Finer Podcast on Facebook. We now have a YouTube channel. Um, Just search Nothing Finer Podcast on YouTube. Make sure that you follow the account with our logo. There is another channel that says Nothing Finer Podcast. It's been inactive for about four years now. Um, But you know where to find us. And I continue to say it. The more people that... Listen, subscribe, interact, all that kind of stuff. The coolest things that we can do moving forward. 
we do have another ASW giveaway to do, and I actually should be putting that up at the end of this week because I've already heard back from our guys at ASW. So just just all the normal stuff there. Um, I'm actually also working on getting an Instagram shop set up. So if you want any of our merch, you can go through Instagram there. It might be another week or two, but that is in the works. Wes, you have anything to close out with? No. All right, guys. Always remember, there is nothing finer in the land than a drunk, obnoxious Georgia fan. So, as most of our listeners know, both Wes and I are veterans. And at part of November, we talked about it before, we're going to highlight a veteran around college football for every episode we do in the month of November. So, in honor of Charlie Trippy's passing, we are actually going to talk about him today because he was a World War II veteran. He actually left the University of Georgia to go serve in World War II. Um, during his military career, he missed the 1943 and 44 seasons and all but six games of 1945, which means he came back from the war and immediately started playing football. Um, and what, during his time in the military, he actually played in the 1944 Third Army Air Force Gremlins football team. Um, and he was the first team running back on the 1944 Service All-American team. After that, you know, obviously he helped Georgia win the first national championship in 1942. He was then drafted by the Chicago Cardinals as a future pick. While he was in the military, he was drafted, came back to Georgia, finished his career, and then went to the Chicago Cardinals. And obviously, you know, during his time in the military, during his time in football, he was phenomenal. He just going through his list of awards here. Um, he was a part of the 1943 Rose Bowl team and the game's MVP. He In 1946, he won the Maxwell Award as the most nation's most outstanding college football player. He was the SEC's Player of the Year, first team All-American. And this was after he went to war and came back to play for the team. Um, he was also... Pursued by the New York Yankees at one point. What? Yeah. Yeah. He was part of. Uh, oh, here it says during his time in Chicago, he was part of the million dollar backfield in a victory of the 1947 NFL championship. So he had a national championship, Rose Bowl MVP, NFL championship, and he was one of the highest paid players at the time. On top of that, he served for three years in World War II. Damn. I just – obviously, a lot has been said about Charlie Trippy over the last few weeks, but we want to highlight his service to our country as well as his service to the football world. Biggest third down in Bryce Young's career. You need 10. Play clock at four. From the pocket. Launching downfield, underthrown and intercepted. Keely Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. All the way to the end zone, and Georgia 
who's going to conquer the Crimson Tide.